This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, July 18th, 2022 on your public radio station, KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. A hot summer is becoming hotter. The National Weather Service warns this week will include potentially record-breaking heat, with highs in the triple digits and heat index readings even higher. Heat advisories will likely be with us all this week and beyond. The National Weather Service advises take extra precautions if you work or spend time outside. When possible, reschedule strenuous activities early morning or evening and know the signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Also, wear lightweight and loose-fitting clothing when possible and drink plenty of water. Southern states, including Arkansas this summer, are ground zero for new COVID-19 infection. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich recently spoke with Robert Hopkins, a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics and chief of internal medicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock. It was an effort to better understand what's causing this new outbreak and ways to protect against infection. You likely know someone who's inexplicably been infected with COVID-19 this summer inexplicably because Arkansans who are vaccinated and boosted are testing positive, along with those who are unprotected. The SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes COVID-19, emerged out of China in late 2019 and has exponentially spread across the globe. It survives by infecting humans, which spread it, and this virus continually mutates says UAMS physician and professor Robert Hopkins, in effect cloaking itself in vaccine and antibody-resistant ways as new variants and subvariants. And so what we've seen over the course of this pandemic is more and more variants that we're able to detect with our testing me- mechanism. The first or alpha COVID-19 virus was followed by beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, and six other variants. Last year, the Omicron variant emerged, quickly designated a variant of concern. This summer, Omicron has spawned two highly infectious subvariants, BA.4 and BA.5, which are widely circulating. Our immune system, while it does broaden out over time after you're vaccinated or after you have an illness, it's not perfect at providing what we call sterilizing immunity, meaning that you're exposed to a virus and it sterilizes. It doesn't allow it to grow at all. But these vaccines that we're using to this point are decent at reducing infection, but they're much more effective at reducing development of severe disease. So in other words, The virus may take hold for a little bit and your immune system says, oh yeah, I recognize you. You know, you're not the same as as what I'm expecting, but I recognize you well enough that I can knock you out before you make me very ill or end up in the hospital. Now into a third year of a global pandemic, COVID-19 is nowhere near transitioning to a seasonal illness like influenza. So far, more than 560 million individuals have been infected worldwide. More than 6 million have died, including 1 million in the U.S. Last January in Arkansas, Omicron caused 15,000 new infections in just one day. That outbreak subsided by spring, but this summer we're seeing a new, even more aggressive wave of infections. But a true infection case count remains unknown given most Arkansans are home testing with government issue or over-the-counter rapid antigen tests. Most, most of people who have the, the, uh, this current variant have headache, have congestion, drainage, uh, sometimes achiness. Fever's a lot more variable. Uh, but generally, people have symptoms that would, you would expect with a respiratory viral infection. But now, something new. Individuals who are repeatedly catching COVID-19 are at greater risk for developing strange and debilitating chronic COVID conditions. Also known as long COVID, symptoms include malaise, difficulty, concentrating, loss or changes in smell or taste, depression, anxiety, joint pain, and more. A couple of studies have come out recently that have shown that the number of COVID infections you have, the higher the number is, the higher your risk of developing long COVID, higher your risk of developing ongoing symptoms. And that makes sense. Mathematically, you know, if you 
hit a baseball multiple times, you're much more likely to have a long hit than you are if you hit it once. I think that that really fits with what we see with COVID. You have more infections, you're much more likely to have prolonged symptoms than you are if you have it only once. Um, so we want people not to have the infection. We want to re-implement some of our precautions, some of those layers that can, we can put in between ourselves and the virus if we're going to reduce our risk. The rate of COVID-19 vaccination in Arkansas remains chronically low compared to states like California and New York. One reason why the virus is surging in our state. Yes, I think anyone that has not been vaccinated should be vaccinated. Anybody that is eligible for that first booster and hasn't gotten it, get the first booster. Anybody that is 50 or older eligible for a second booster, get that second booster. Because what we know with, about these current vaccines are that they're effective at reducing your risk of infection for a period of time. You know, so starting two weeks after you get that shot, you're going to be better protected than you were before you got it. And that's going to last probably for a period of months. Exactly how long in a given individual depends on a lot of different things. But it reduces your risk of infection. More importantly, it reduces your risk of severe infection. And so I want anybody that's eligible for a vaccine to get vaccinated. And the, the thing I emphasize more than anything is we now can vaccinate our children down to six months of age. Please get your kids vaccinated now so that they're at less risk once we start going back to school in a few weeks. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration authorized a brand new protein-based COVID-19 vaccine developed by Novavax for people 18 years and older, and new Omicron subvariant booster shots are on the horizon. Vaccines are free, covered by health insurance, and available at public health facilities to everyone six months of age and older. And with Arkansas leading the nation in new COVID-19 infections this summer, Dr. Hopkins also advises everyone to wear a mask. Particularly in indoor spaces with large groups of people. If you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to the, um, uh, you know, any indoor space with other people that you don't know their status, don't know that they're well and or negative, I think not masking up is putting yourself at risk. I know people are tired about social distancing. I know they're tired of not going to uh, concerts. I know they're tired of, of being told to mask, but if you want to reduce your risk of having severe disease or developing long COVID, you need to take those additional steps to protect yourself. To learn more, visit the coronavirus resource page on uamshealth.com. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Arkansas voters may have the chance to weigh in on legalizing recreational marijuana in the state. This week on Talk Business and Politics, Steve Lancaster with the group Responsible Growth Arkansas said Arkansas could miss significant economic opportunities if recreational marijuana is not legalized for adults over 21. Frankly, there's also a lot that's going on in the state surrounding Arkansas. And the, the thought being that this is something that is coming our way uh, we can either be a part of it or we're going to lose out to uh, some of our neighboring states, uh, both in jobs and tax revenue for the state. Marijuana legalization organizations in Oklahoma and Missouri also claim to have submitted more than double the signatures needed to get similar measures on ballots in those states for voters to decide this year. The Arkansas Secretary of State's office is reviewing the over 190,000 signatures submitted earlier this month in support of the ballot initiative. Two athletes with Arkansas Razorback Connections are medal winners at the World Athletic Championships. Ryan Krauser, a volunteer assistant coach with the Arkansas track team, is the gold medal winner in the shot put. Cindy Morris, an Arkansas alum, earned the silver medal in the pole vault, her third such medal in World Championships history. And three Razorbacks are among players selected during yesterday's first day of the Major League Baseball draft. Infielders Caden Wallace and Robert Moore were picked in the second round by Kansas City and Milwaukee, respectively. Pitcher Peyton Paulette was taken by the Chicago White Sox, also in the second round. Rounds 3 through 10 are today. KUAF is giving away two tickets to see Josh Groban with special guests, including the New Orleans-based Preservation Hall Jazz Band at the Walmart Amp in Rogers on Thursday, July 21st at 7 p.m. The winner will be announced on Wednesday, July 20th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. 
KUAF.com for more information and to enter to win. The 2022 Fayetteville Roots Festival is August 25th through the 27th. This festival of roots music, local food, and Ozark culture will include a Thursday night VIP party at Fayetteville Public Library, featuring more than 20 guest chefs and tasting stations, event tickets, passes to local restaurant takeovers, late-night stage tickets, and more are available at FayettevilleRoots.org. The annual Fill the Bus school supply event will be back at certain Walmart supercenters later this month. Sponsored by United Way of NWA, 13 area school districts will benefit from the drive. United Way is seeking volunteers to help with the drive that takes place July 29th and 30th. That's a Friday and Saturday. Volunteer shifts start at 8.30, 11, and 1 each day. More details at unitedwaynwa.org. NPR's live coverage of the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol continues Thursday night. We'll carry that coverage on KUAF 91.3, and you can also listen at KUAF.com and by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Ahead this hour, we talk with two educators who have been named Teachers of the Year, who are again this year helping children learn through Arkansas PBS programming called Rise and shine. We'll talk with Joel Lukadoo from Springdale and Courtney Cochran from Alma. That's in about 15 minutes. Hey, don't you remember? I'm your pal. Buddy, can you spare a All right, let's talk about that song. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. You selected that as our opening this week. Why? Well, and it's it's really overdone, but uh, that was uh, the big popular song during the Great Depression. So uh, I did that kind of as a joke to lead into our segment today, which is about the economy. And it's ain't necessarily good. Right. Uh, it's about inflation and recession. And I uh, was going back through the KTV archives and found some items from past recessions. And there have been a bunch of them. Um, so let's see. For my count, there have been 14 recessions since the Great Depression which was 29 to 33. All right. And so um, I thought we'd take a look at a few of those um, that were that, that occurred during the television era. I was going to say, KATV does not have archives from 1937. Right, right, that's right. But before we start going into those, I wanted to just find out not only for myself, but for everybody listening exactly what a recession is. You hear about it all the time, but um, what exactly is it? So, you know Roby. Roby Brock with Talk Business and Politics. That's correct, our partner. And so, of course, I got him on the line uh, for him to explain. A recession is generally defined as when you have two quarters in a row of negative economic activity, usually reflected in gross domestic product. What does that mean? That means that basically the economic activity either slows down from where it was or it moves backwards from where it was in a significant way. So uh, jobs usually fall off the map. You have less production in factories. You have consumers buying fewer goods. Uh, Those are the types of things that typically characterize a recession. It's Roby Rock with Talk Business and Politics. We're talking recessions for this week's Prior Center Profiles. Yeah, and as he said, it, it's marked by two fiscal quarters uh, that have, you know, financial difficulties. And, and according to Roby, uh, it's determined by a panel or a committee of economists around the nation, and they look at all these different factors he was talking about, and they determine if it's a recession, and it's usually about a year after it actually started. So you're in a recession, and then you find out, oh, I've been in a recession. Yeah, yeah, we understand. Yeah, and so um, I started looking at the KTV archives, and since the 50s, uh, there were several. There was 1953, 
1958, 60 and 61, 69 and 70. And then I've found some things um, in the KETV archives, uh, a news clip from 1974. And this is a report from John Hudgens in Washington, and it's about the recession that hit from 73 to 75, so we would have been right in the middle of it. News Scene 7 talked with members of the Arkansas delegation in Washington about the number one problem facing this country, inflation. The Arkansas lawmakers agreed that the country was sliding toward a mild recession, but for the most part they felt that Arkansas would escape much of the recession pain because of its largely rural makeup. No immediate answers to the problem were given, and although most of those interviewed were Democrats, none would count the Ford administration out of the fight against inflation. However, the Democrats did agree that if President Ford hasn't acted decisively toward curbing inflation by 1976, that a Democrat would be in the White House. This is John Hudgens in Washington for News Scene 7. We're talking about recessions, and of course, the mid-70s, you had a gas crisis, you had inflation. Oh, it was it was tough. It was horrible. And we've done a segment on Yes, we have. Yeah. yeah. And so this sort of fits right in. But by 76, which is when we're hearing this clip now from then Governor David Pryor, um, it was pretty much over with. And he talked about that and how it affected Arkansas. One, it is part of the national economy that it is looking up, people are being called back to work. And two, we always said that we would be one of the last states that entered the recession and one of the last states to pull ourselves out. And we're finding this to be true and because we are a component industry state. And this is historically true when, industry, when states are basically based upon a component economy. From 46 years ago, then Governor David Pryor talking about the effect of recession on Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long after that one that they were already talking recession again. So um, Jimmy Carter, uh, by 78, uh, it, it was kind of rampant up in Washington talking about inflation and recession. And so this is a report from Sam Donaldson uh, on Jimmy Carter at the White House. President Carter strongly suggested today that he will continue his anti-inflation policy of fiscal restraint and tight money, even if putting such breaks on the economy tips the country toward a recession. But Mr. Carter predicted that wouldn't happen, and he carefully avoided stating such a resolve in so many words. The president told reporters he does not believe there will be a significant economic setback next year. Only the complete failure of his anti-inflation program would raise the prospect of recession or depression, and that won't happen, he said. But when reminded that many economists are predicting a mild recession because of such belt tightening, and when told that people are wondering whether then he might reverse course and start pumping money into the economy, Mr. Carter replied that he intends to hold to his course. And this afternoon, when talking to an anti-inflation forum in the White House, Mr. Carter stressed again that he means business about the belt tightening. I'm now preparing the 1980 fiscal year budget. I haven't had a pleasant session yet. Yeah, I think both Presidents Ford and Carter flinched at the words inflation and recession because they heard it so much during oh, their terms. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, well, and then um, Carter ended up losing partially because of that. Oh, yeah. And handed it over to Reagan. Right. So he was dealing with it when he took office in 1980. So um, we also had a new governor that year, Frank White, also a Republican, also dealing with those problems. But by 1981, uh, let's find out what kind of shape we were in. He was on a special 30-minute uh economy program with Steve Barnes and Amy Oliver. Uh, I'm surprised and had hoped that the interest rates would turn down before now. But we've seen a modest decline, but now I understand the kind that the rates uh, have stabilized in that 20% area on prime. And 20% uh, interest rates are counterproductive to a strong economic recovery. Automobile industry is in terrible shape, so 
uh, while we keep mortgage money up here at 14, 15 percent, we're not going to see a major improvement in the housing market. So I think contrary to what a lot of people thought that we are coming out of the recession, we're in this period now where we may not come out for another six months. And, and obviously I'm very concerned about that and that's why I've taken a real tough attitude on our budget and I think we have to live within our means. Governor Frank White from early 1981. Yeah, did you hear? He mentioned 20%. That's a lot. Can you imagine paying that on a house? No. I did. Oof. Back in the day. That was when I bought my first house. Now, fortunately, it was only 18.5. Yeah, but, but 20%, still, is 20, 20% is 20%. So. And the reason you bought an eight, a house for 18.5 is because that's what you could afford. Oh, it sounds sure. like not much now, but oh, you, and I fixed it all up. Did and you turned really? around and sold it two years later for a whopping twenty-two five. <laughs> so I was, I was getting. We'll do already. a real estate segment with you, Andy. <laughs> yeah, flipping houses. Yeah. Oh, um, so I wanted to know about our economy now because we're hearing mm -hmm. a lot, a lot about inflation and a lot about recession, and um, I kind of wanted to know, you know, those last two were so bad. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I asked Roby Brock about um, if we're going to see a recession. Well, I think it's borderline right now. Um, I think that – I don't think that we're going to go through a long – period of a recession if we do go through one. When you look at the last two major recessions, I'll go back to 2007 through 2009 during the housing crisis when I that was the, called the Great Recession, right? That's right, the Great Recession. And that was where your housing values fell greatly. People got laid off, the mortgage industry crashed, and that had a you know, just kind of a ripple effect through a lot of other areas of the economy because housing is so integrated with so many other aspects of the economy. That was a long-lasting recession. That officially lasted about a year and a half. So we felt that pain for a really, really long time. <sighs> okay, so that's Roby with Talk Business and Politics. Right, and, and we're on this coming out of the two biggest uh, recessions since 2000. There, there have been two in the 2000s. Um, and we talked a moment ago about the Great Recession. Well, you know, that was followed by the COVID recession. And, you know, the reason, of course, for that, the, the Great Recession was because of the housing bubble that right. burst. Right. Um, the COVID, of course, was because everything just came to a grinding halt. Right. And Retail was stopping. Restaurants hot. were empty. Ask hotels. I mean, my goodness. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, everybody suffered for different reasons. So I was wondering if, if we do have a recession, uh, how it might compare to the last two. I think this one's going to be different than the last two that we've experienced that people will remember from recent memory and because there's just some different characteristics right now. Um, jobs are not falling off the map. We're actually having trouble filling jobs right now. There's about two job openings for every one person that wants a job right now. That usually doesn't happen during a recession. Um, industrial production, when you look at some of the measurements that are out there, what factories are putting out, the, the numbers are actually pretty good. It's just we've got all these global tensions that have put all this pressure on the supply chain that everybody hears about. Um, and those are that's one of the main reasons why we are seeing some recessionary characteristics right now because there's just not enough goods moving through the worldwide economy because of things happening in Ukraine or the fact that we've had tensions with China in recent years, there's stuff stuck on boats that they can't get transported out because we can't fill these jobs that are open out there. So all of that stuff is kind of in the mix. And to me, that feels different than what we have been through in previous recessions where people wanted to work but couldn't find a job. They wanted to ramp up their factory production, but they couldn't find the workers for that. And there wasn't as much demand out there for it. There is demand for a lot of products right now, and people are employed. So 
this recession, if we are in one, feels different to me. All right. So what are you going to leave us with then? I mean, what <laughs> we've been talking about recession and give us something upbeat to, to, to end this segment, Randy. Well, um, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> And I've been saving my money. So there you go. How's that, Randy? You can you can see uh, so much Arkansas history at the uh, website for the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Just put in Prior Center to a search engine. Randy, thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I'll come back from the lake uh, next week, and I'll either be tanned or burned. We'll see. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you. Have a great vacation. Thank you. The Momentarian Bentonville presents A Divided Landscape, a new free exhibition featuring the work of seven contemporary artists as they confront the historical and cultural narratives of the American West. Open now through September 25th. Information at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large. This month, Arkansas PBS is again broadcasting and streaming Rise and Shine a collection of national and state educational segments designed to help young viewers keep engaged in the months between school years. Much of the locally produced material comes from educators who have been Teachers of the Year in Arkansas. Last week, we called two of those educators. In a few minutes, a conversation with Joel Lukadu from the Springdale Public School System. First, Courtney Cochran, who for 11 years taught Spanish and now is an assistant principal at Alma High School. She says the original iteration of programs designed to close learning gaps on Arkansas PBS developed in early 2020. When school was shut down and the Arkansas Teachers of the Year, we all jumped on a Zoom together, you know, brand new thing for a lot of us. <laughs> and we said, what are we going to do? We have to do something to help these teachers and help these students and help these families. So we contacted um, the department. We're all very close with now Secretary Johnny Key, then his title was commissioner, and um, we asked him, what can we do? And lo and behold, the department was already talking with Arkansas PBS about some um, some AMI alternative um, instructional methods programming to help with that crazy, challenging time period. So that's where it started, and, and we started with um, – recording ourselves on our own computers back in 2020 and we would send it in to the producers and um, they would turn it into programming and and it did so well that Arkansas PBS and the Department of Education decided to continue on with um, what is now known as Rise and Shine and last summer it was it was wonderful and I think they've made even better improvements for season two. I imagine it's something of a learning experience for an educator, recording something on your computer and, and making sure that that resonates and lands with the eventual young people who will be watching it. That is true. There has definitely been a learning curve. Now, the great thing about uh, the Arkansas Teachers of the Year being involved in this project is that we all go through media training as teachers of the year, obviously, if you're working with and for the Department of Education, traveling the state and, and the country, they want you to be able to speak eloquently and, and cogently about education, but also um, they want, you know, great teachers, obviously. So those two things made a really good fit for the goals of Arkansas PBS and the Department of Education when it came to um, creating this programming, this educational programming. How, and I imagine this is the same in the classroom as it is with, um, you know, a presentation that will be delivered through a not-in-person platform, but how do you balance the ability to keep someone's attention while also, you know, teaching, <laughs> whether it's Spanish or math or whatever? Right, that's... That's the wonderful thing about this programming on Rise and Shine is it's, it's very short, uh, very entertaining. When the teachers are teaching their segments, um, it, it's fast-paced. There's a clear learning target, 
And um, of course, we all love teaching very much. So we, we tend to maybe put sometimes a little too much energy into <laughs> our teaching. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. And then the other programming that's involved with Rise and Shine, obviously, the national PBS kids programming is very entertaining. My kids were raised on PBS kids shows and um, the local programming is wonderful too. The virtual field trips. I mean, it's all just very engaging. It connects directly to the students' lives because it's you know, the local programming. And then of course the, the teachers teaching their segments, it's all right here in Arkansas. So that makes it more meaningful, more rich for the students. I talked to a lot of musicians who during the pandemic, you know, they were doing, um, the virtual shows from their living room, and it wasn't a live audience, but you could watch their streaming performance. And they said, while that was fine, they didn't get the feedback that they did, you know, from a live audience. And I'm wondering if there, what's the difference for an educator between having a classroom of 20 students looking at you, and you can read their body language, you can see their faces, as opposed to presenting, you know, putting together a, a small education package that then goes somewhere else. What's the difference in feedback for you? That That is an excellent question. That is the toughest part because we always, I know I do, and I'm sure the other teachers feel the same way. We like to close with a question or a prompt to keep the students thinking and um, hopefully give them something that they can reflect on their own learning to see if they achieve that learning target. Now, the flip side of that is as teachers, we're also very used to sometimes never knowing what our impact is. Students will leave our classroom and, and we may feel like, well, I didn't reach that, that child as well as I could have, or I, I really did a great job with this one. And then years and years down the road, we find out, wow, we really made a difference in that child's life. So we're used to seeing both short-term and long-term impacts as teachers. And, um, you know, we've tried in the past to have students mail in answers to questions. We've tried different things, but it is very fulfilling, I think, to just rest assured that students are are seeing um, some really great learning coming to life. And then to hear on down the road, oh, I saw you on that TV show and I learned so much, and I love what you did on that lesson, and I really understood for the first time what that concept concept meant, and um, all of those things just make it really, really fulfilling. Courtney Cochran is an assistant principal at Alma High School and one of the Arkansas Teachers of the Year who is helping create programming for Arkansas PBS's Rise and Shine programming this summer. We talked with her last week. Also last week, we called Joel Lookadoo, another educator who has been named an Arkansas Teacher of the Year and is an assistant principal at Lakeside Junior High School in Springdale. He previously taught math at Lakeside and the Don Tyson School of Innovation. He says part of what's included in Rise and Shine this summer is national education programming. Uh, but mixed in, you will see Arkansas teachers actually teaching many lessons. Uh, so that's where I've come in. Most of mine were, were math, uh, either Kind of focused on the kindergarten through second grade level uh that was that was predominantly mine uh, so there's kind of uh, a k k2 segments those kindergarten through second and there's also third through fifth grade but mine was uh most of those k2 um, math segments did a little bit of science some too and so you're going to see kind of different standards that we approached uh, a lot of uh, focusing on uh, adding and subtracting and trying to be fluent in that and different ways we might approach different problems, uh, especially like scenario and word problems and how we can break those down and, and kind of think flexibly with numbers. Uh, so that's what you'll see me do a lot of there. Is it a challenge to get a lesson in four or five minutes? It is. It's very different. You know, doing these for kind of more of a, a TV uh, it's so different than a classroom, you know, and it's been a challenge, but it's really fun. Uh, this is our, our second year doing this with Rise and Shine. And so uh, kind of felt a little bit more comfortable this time around. But uh, it sure is different uh, trying to 
you know, fit that in to where it's, it's cohesive, it makes sense, but yet you can get to the meat of, of the problem and what we're trying to, uh, to do. So it might be one main problem that we kind of attack together that we, we look at and focus on breaking that down and, and going through there. And so, you know, a quick intro hit the, the heart of the, the standard that we're really going after and wrap that up real quick uh, in five minutes. It, it does, uh, you know, it's just different than a 45 minute class might be, but, but it sure is a lot of fun. In the classroom, could you tell that there had been some loss during a summer? Like you might've had a, you know, a class that left and then you can tell the class that comes in in late August or September, if they didn't have that, if they took a pause for the complete summer vacation from learning, could you tell that in the first few weeks of a new year? I think you can, uh, not only with, you know, just the, the routines of getting back in the daily uh, schedules of, of school and um, all of that, but also with when it does come to learning and content, uh, you know, you hear teachers talk a lot about, uh, well, I got to remember this is, this is the fall, <laughs> you know, you, you remember if you're teaching even the same grade level, where they are at in the spring uh, is different than in the fall. So as you come back uh, to that that fall after the summer, you're having to reacquaint yourself with uh, where students are at, meeting them uh, where they are. And you do see, uh, you know, a, a typical, a little bit of a loss when it comes to learning. And it's it's that refreshing of the, the mind and, and getting it back going. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's like working, working out muscles. You know, if I take a break, uh, from working out and exercising uh, for two months, it's going to take me a little bit of time to get back in it. It's the same thing with our minds, I think. And so we, we do see that in the classroom. And, and so staying engaged uh, can really uh, just get you back on, on track and ready to go from, from the start of school. I've got to ask you a question about teaching math to very young children, because I don't remember not knowing how to add or subtract, right? I've been doing it long enough that it just seems rote. And it reminds me of when, for one summer, I coached a girls' softball team, and we're going through infield practice, and there was a ground ball with a runner at first, and I said, throw to second for the force play, and they said, what's a force play? And I was like, I don't even know how to explain this. It's just part of, you know, my DNA. How do, what, who doesn't know what a force play is? And I feel that way about subtraction and addition. How do you, as an educator, get there to where a five or a six or a seven, four-year-old is coming into this fresh, something that we all take for granted. You're right, and I, I think that's a great illustration, too. And, you know, that's it's one of the things doing Rise and Shine for me, you know, my experience is with secondary students. And so I've been teaching largely junior high students, some high school. And uh, so having to, to really think about how do we break this down for the five-year-old, the, the six-year-old, uh, and talking with teachers, elementary teachers who, who do this regularly. Uh, and I think, you know, it comes back to really being able to think flexibly. So not just, hey, there's one way to solve a certain thing. Um, you know, how can we break different numbers apart, especially when we started getting into double-digit numbers? So one of the things you'll see us do on Rise and Shine is uh, we might be solving a problem that has three different numbers that we're trying to add together. Well, as a, you know, a first grader, that can be really challenging. How do I do that, uh, especially with double-digit numbers? Well, if I know that, you know, the number 12 can be broken down into a 10 and a 2, okay, now I can start to think about these numbers a little bit differently, and I can add different pieces together. Uh, and so that kind of helps us solve more complicated problems, but it also helps us see different strategies uh, to solve a variety of problems. And now as we see new things arise, well, I may not know directly how to attack that problem, but I know I have some strategies that can help me break this down. Now I can start to build those pieces together to solve new problems. And I think that's, that's kind of been the fun and the, the, the challenge in this is um, you know, thinking differently and being able to break these things down. Also, I have a, she's a daughter who's going into the second grade, so that's been helpful to be able to you know, bounce <laughs> ideas off of her and see what she's doing uh, in class, but also, hey, does this make sense? And so uh, having that person at home has been really helpful, too. Joel Lookadoo, an Arkansas Teacher of the Year, assistant principal at Lakeside High School in Springdale, 
and an educator working with Arkansas PBS to create Rise and Shine. Rise and Shine can be seen weekday mornings from 8.30 to 11.30 this summer on Arkansas PBS. The programming also available on demand through streaming services and the Engage Arkansas PBS app. This is a Monday edition of Ozarks at Large, and today is the deadline to RSVP for the annual Spark of Hope, benefiting the Single Parent Scholarship Fund of Northwest Arkansas. This year's event is at the Rogers Convention Center on July 28th. More details about the organization and the Spark of Hope celebration of scholarship recipients can be found at SPSF. NWA.org. And today is also the deadline to contribute to the school supply drive benefiting the children of single parents in the region. That effort, a partnership between the Single Parent Scholarship Fund of Northwest Arkansas and Coldwell Banker Harris, McHaney, and Fawcett. You can find a list of requested items and learn more at ColdwellBankersLoveNWA.com. Bella Vista drivers, be aware a section of Highlands Boulevard from McGrath Drive Northwest to Kirkwell Drive Closed to traffic tomorrow through Thursday. Local traffic will be detoured along Coppensay and Kirkwell Drives. The closure is going to allow for the installation of new culverts along Highlands Boulevard between Coppensay and Kirkwall. Tomorrow night is the opening reception for artwork created by Jeffrey Cantu. The reception from 5 to 7 tomorrow evening at the Prior Center on the Fayetteville Square is co-produced by Art Ventures and Startup Junkie. Cantu studied at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith and was also stationed in Japan with the U.S. Navy for four years. His art is colorful, it's layered, and it has compositions within compositions. The exhibit, Outlines of Imagination, is part of Art Ventures' regional art program. And today, the musicians involved in the Chamber Music on the Mountain Summer Festival are together rehearsing. The two-week festival will present chamber music in a half-dozen venues most of them on Mount Sequoia and Fayetteville. This year's concerts are connected through the theme, Music That Moves Us. Tomoko Kashawagi is the artistic director for the festival. She's also a pianist and associate professor of music at the University of Arkansas. She says the eight concerts in the festival, including two free performances, are designed to bring a community of musicians and patrons together during a time of year when traditionally the classical music schedule is a bit different than during the academic year. I mean, inviting local Northwest Arkansas musicians who are actually, you know, wanting to play concerts but not necessarily have time or maybe um, groups to put together a whole concert. They're, you know, still a really valid part, a very important part of uh, Northwest Arkansas's music community. So I'm inviting people from the community to to play maybe up to 15 minutes each. So various groups will be um, joining. So it's kind of like a gala concert. So that one is also free to the public. But otherwise, we have um, six concerts that us featured artists will put together. And we're doing collaborations with the Northwest Arkansas uh, Jazz Society. And we have a collaboration with the Ozark Ballet Theater. Trevor Stewart, a clarinetist and recorder player, is in Northwest Arkansas for the festival from Lawrence, Kansas. He's not a stranger here, though. He's an Arkansas native, and he still performs with Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas. For him... A compact schedule of rehearsing and performing in the summer is invigorating. Over the summer, um, for musicians, it can be either extremely busy or extremely dead. And in my case, I haven't, um, I've, I've had the luxury of having a lot of different performance opportunities locally this summer. Um, but I know that, um, especially playing chamber music, music written for small groups of people, um, it always ends up being like a way more. I, I would say in a way intimate and also um, personal experience. And, and so I don't know a lot of the people that I'm about to be playing with, but I do know that for the past weeks to months, we've all been working really hard on this sort of common goal to come together to create this beautiful music. And just having that sort of background um, and knowing that we're all coming in on the same page creates almost like a safe space to where I know that by the end of this week, I am certainly going to have a handful of really good new friends who I'll probably be collaborating with for years to come. Tomoko Kamashagi says Trevor isn't just a talented musician. 
He's the anchor for the first week of the festival. He's playing the Telemans recorder and flute concerto, and we have a, also a fabulous flutist coming from Lawrence, Kansas, <laughs> Daniel Velasco. And then the other piece that he has to play is the, the clarinet uh, quintet by uh, Weber. Uh, Weber. Uh, and that's a big piece and a fun piece, a show piece. And then the third piece was also one of the first pieces that I thought about putting in this program about movement. Um, it's a piece called Groups by an Arkansas composer, Philip Parker, who teaches at Arkansas Tech University. And I played piece in 2014 or something with a artist, and I love it. It's jazzy, it's driven, it's fun exciting on the edge maybe um but that's kind of tied together for me oh this jazzy piece has lots of arkansas composer who's still alive and that kind of became the point where i was like oh i need a clarinet player trevor let's have you play jazzy piece in a classic show piece and then also a baroque recorder in one week the piece Tomoko mentioned, Grooves, by composer Philip Parker from Arkansas Tech University, will begin the concerts this Wednesday and Thursday nights at the Fayetteville Public Library, Wednesday, and Thayden School in Bentonville, Thursday. Those two nights' performances are a collaboration with the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. Trevor Stewart says the co-curation of the concert between classical and jazz entities is a perfect place for the performance of Philip Parker's piece. The first movement is called Bop, and I think it's almost like inspired by like bebop style of music. It's super fast, super driven, as Tomoka said, and um, very rhythmically involved. And as is the second movement, which is called um, Hocket and Rocket. And a Hocket is like um, a compositional technique in which there are two lines that together are filling in each other's rests. So like you're creating one musical line, but from two different people jumping between back and forth. So it can be like really fun, but also scary to sort of align. Um, and that's just sort of like a slower, like I would say like rock and roll sort of style in a way. It's very like rooted and grounded and in rhythm. And um, the third movement is called Sultry Waltz. So imagine like a waltz, but also um, very like blues inspired. It's very like, I don't know, very like, you know, soul, soulful in a way. And then, then the last movement, um, Bulgarian blues, it's this crazy mixed meter, like uh, never ending, just rhythmic, crazy adventure. And, and like, I don't know the, any way to describe it. Like you really have to hear it. Like if you're an audience member, you would have no idea what time signature you're listening to it's always changing and like you you would have no idea like where the where the beat is really falling but it, it it still feels like i could dance to this half of the summer concerts will be hosted on mount sequoia including this sunday afternoon's free northwest arkansas musicians spotlight concert emily gentry the president and ceo of mount sequoia center says a summer chamber music festival that mixes styles, moods, and musicians is a fitting partner for a place like Mount Sequoia that mixes things up too. Oh, it definitely has that feel. That's a great analogy. Um, and every day is different. So Sundays are much more calm and peaceful. Um, other days you've got kids hula hooping in um, your back office door. Like like they're, they're out there just having a good time, blowing bubbles, hula hooping, having um, so much fun. Um, then you've got the pool that has its own sort of um, atmosphere. And if you're over at the pool, you have no idea that there's something going on at the Overlook um, or that there's people over there. And so it does, each area of campus feels like its own zone um, and moving through from one area of campus to another area of campus, it's just each a different experience. Um, and so we're hoping that people will come and join the music and that people do come up and have different moments and different experiences at Mount Sequoia, just like they would listening to a piece like this. The Chamber Music on the Mountains Summer Festival first concert is Wednesday night, beginning at 6 in the Fayetteville Public Library. It is free. You can find the entire schedule and much more information about the music and the musicians at chambermusiconthemountain.org. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center, a small business family owned in Fayetteville since 1973.
A recent winner of the Outdoor Retailer Inspiration Award, PackRat was recognized for organizing stewardship programs and serving as a model for responsible business practices. More information at packratoc.com. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Oklahomans reading and discussing the same books. So this fall, um, the average Oklahoman is no more than 30 miles from the closest Let's Talk location. Um, We've seen an increase in program locations this fall, kind of rebuilding from COVID. Since the 1980s, thousands of Oklahomans have been participating in the Let's Talk About It series hosted by Oklahoma Humanities. The books are free and no resident is more than 30 miles from a discussion group. That's on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF and on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast that's available through all major podcast distributors. And readers in Arkansas can take part in a community read later this month. The If All Arkansas Read the Same Book event is coming up Thursday, July 28th at 6.30 p.m. Emily St. John Mandel will leave a lead a live discussion of her best-selling novel, Sea of Tranquility. Her other novels include The Glass Hotel and Station Eleven. The virtual event is free. Registration can be found at library.arkansas.gov. Sea of Tranquility, by the way, a novel of art, time, love, and plague that takes the reader from Vancouver Island in 1912 to a dark colony on the moon 500 years later. The If All Arkansas Read the Same Book Community Read Project made possible in part by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services. On the next episode of The R Word. Racism is actually an entire cultural order that has been created and sustained and has taken so much from African-American communities. And so if you see that it's a broken cultural order, what we call a cultural disorder, then the answer to that is not just personal repentance or relational reconciliation or institutional reform. It's actually cultural repair. And that is how we we get to reparations as a meaningful category. Our co-host Lowell Taylor speaks with Greg Thompson, co-author of the book Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance, about why reparations matter, what the Christian church's role could be in facilitating racial healing in America, and why using the words white supremacy is important. The R Word, a limited run podcast series available now at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. This is KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Paris. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon. Matthew Moore produced today's show inside Studio 120 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. With us right now, Matthew Moore. Hi, Kyle. Hello, Matthew. Uh, you know, last week I was pretty excited because the World Games taking place in Birmingham, Alabama. That's right. Uh, World Games are international competitions for sports that don't have a presence in the Olympics or a major global-wide world championship like the World Cup for soccer. Right, or chess. As we learned last week, yes. chess has never been part of the World Games. Right. All right, there is an Arkansas gold medalist or an Arkansas-connected gold medalist after last week's events. Yeah. Desmond Lewis, who is the second all-time leading receiver at the University of Central Arkansas in Conway, won a gold medal. Guess what for? Um, catching things. That's, yes. Uh, is Frisbee a part of it? Uh, flying disc, because Frisbee is trademarked, but right. he was not on the flying disc team. <laughs> okay. He actually was part of the first ever gold, mini, gold medal winning flag football team. Uh, yes, flag football. Uh, it's, it's host in... con- yes, host countries every year get to pick a couple of sports that are mostly related to them. Aha. Uh-huh. And so the U.S. said, let's have flag football. Of course, because what's more American than football? Well, I mean, not much. <laughs> um the U.S. defeated Italy in the finals, 49-36. To get there, the U.S. had to defeat Austria, which I don't think of as a power in no, flag football. No, I mean, I may be wrong, but the U.S. defeated uh, Austria in the semifinals, 54-19, to go 6-0 and last week. Is the only difference tackling and flags between the two sports? Well, I mean, it's flag football, so I'd assume. I mean, you still kick it and everything? Let's get together tomorrow, and I'll let you know. That's a great question. Hey, thank you for being with us. Stay cool, hydrate. Um, We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7.